You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. So good to see everybody today. We are continuing what has become our Summer of Psalms. Today we're in the second one. Last week we looked at the first psalm. We'd entitled that Sing Me a Psalm About Life. Today we're in the second, as we just sang, uh, and it's going to be about Jesus. So sing me a psalm about Jesus. Of course, we think about Jesus, our, uh, the center of the New Testament, the beginning of the uh, New Testament with the Gospels and on. But the Old Testament is as much about Jesus as the New The Old Testament is Jesus predicted. The New Testament is Jesus come, especially in the Gospels. In the Epistles is Jesus explained, in Revelation is Jesus expected. It's all about Jesus all the way down. If we'd wish to organize our life in a right way, in accordance with truth, in accordance with God and his revelation, in a way that he blesses, we'll organize our life in the same way. Make it about Jesus all the way down. So let's read the second psalm. I'm reading from the English Standard. I normally preach before you from the New American Standard. But uh, for the psalm series, we're going to be in the English Standard because I just think it does a much more poetic job of the psalm. So Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, Yahweh, and against his anointed, the Messiah, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree that the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish on the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. With that, let's pause for prayer. Lord, help us to recognize your anointed, the Messiah, the King, your only begotten Son. Let us kiss him, let us take refuge in him. Amen we'll find that it's pretty obvious this Psalm 2 can only be about Jesus. It can only be about Jesus. We actually have that made clear and evident for us in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The apostles, right after the very first time they're persecuted, they get together after having been warned by the council of the Jews that they were not to speak anymore 
about these things of Christ. It says in Acts 4 and 24, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything that's in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and see if you recognize these words, why did the Gentiles rage? Why did the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. So that's verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 2, which the apostles say are by David through the Holy Spirit. And then they began to tell us what this psalm meant. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So against your servant Jesus, the Messiah. Gathered together both Herod and Pontius Pilate, there's the rulers, and along with the Gentiles and the peoples of the earth, there's the peoples, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Everything that was done by these people against Jesus was by God's plan. That God knew it was coming. That they made their plans. That they acted in their rage. That they said, let's go against his plans. Let's burst his bonds and let's cast aside his cords. So all the constraints of God, let's get rid of. And God laughed at them and did what he was going to do anyway. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. So they're still at it, Lord. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. You will stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so I can't think of another prophecy that we have in the New Testament uh, such an explanation of this is how all this went. We have a number of times. Matthew does it nearly 20 times in his gospel where Matthew says, thus it happened to fulfill the words of the prophet so-and-so saying. But I can't think of one where we have the explanation line by line like this of the prophecy of the exact fulfillment by the names and actions of the people who did it. And so this psalm, by divine commentary, by divine explanation, can only be about Jesus. Of course, believers have figured that out anyway. Notice this description of the one who's the subject of Psalm 2. In verse 2, they get together against the Lord, against Jehovah or Yahweh, however you wish to say that, they come together against God and his anointed. And Messiah is a direct, uh, uh, a, a direct equivalent to the word Messiah. So if we see the word anointed, we can read the word Messiah. Some translations will go with one, some will go with the other. So Messiah and anointed are exactly the same words, just different ways to express it. It's against the Lord and his anointed that these people get together. So he's the anointed or he's the Messiah, and in verse 6, he is my king. As for me, I have set my king in Zion, my holy hill. So this is what he said, I set my king in Zion, my holy hill, 
And I'll tell you the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so somewhere along the way, we start having Jesus actually being the one who's spoken, uh, being the one speaking. Jesus is the one who receives the decree of Jehovah. And Jesus is the one who gives it out. And the decree is, yes, you're my king in Zion. And today I have begotten you. Now, when we come to the Gospel of John, John will take that and tell us that Jesus is the only begotten Son. So there's one Son begotten in this way. Uh, We do understand God has many sons, many are the sons of God, but there's only one only begotten Son, or some translations will say the one and only Son. Some translations will just say God's only Son. So there's only one Son in this way. So uh, John uh, 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the Father. Of course, the most famous statement of only begotten is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, or shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we have that in John 1.14 and one in 3.16. It's also repeated in both those texts twice, so 1.18 and 3.18 as well. John also, for good measure, gives us one of those in his epistle, talking about confessing the only begotten Son of God. And so Jesus is made to be The only son, the only son like this, the only begotten son of God. And so that terminology was used in that first line of references. In that second line of references of Acts and Hebrews, this line is directly quoted. And it's quoted in Acts 13 of Jesus at his resurrection. Acts 13, 32. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as you also have written in the second psalm. So just in case we're not clear, this is the second psalm, and I think this may be the only time in the um, New Testament where a quotation is made from the Old Testament and the direct place is named. Sometimes the author is named, uh, the book is named, but this is the only one where it's like, you know, the chapter. So the chapter uh, or the, the number of the psalm is named. As it's written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that's applied to the time of the resurrection. And so we normally think of, and Jesus was, of course, the only begotten son the whole time. But the passages in the New Testament that directly cite this line, uh, if there's any time element involved, it involves the time of the resurrection. So it's also used in Hebrews twice, in Hebrews chapter 1 and in Hebrews chapter 5. So this psalm, I think we can very safely say, is only Jesus. This is what the apostles say, that God fulfilled the promise made to the fathers in that he raised up Jesus, and they quote this psalm as the promise. So this is the first psalm that directly, that obviously, is about Jesus. As we spoke about last week of Psalm 1, uh, there's a, a very strong case to make that Psalm 1 is very much about Jesus too. I think you can make that case about every psalm to some degree. 
But this one is the first one that's direct and obvious. But this is not the last psalm of which this is obviously made. If you look at the handout, I gave you the hymn, and with it came an extra sheet of paper stapled to it. But here are some of the other psalms that are about Jesus. Psalm 8, he's the second Adam. Psalm 16, about his resurrection. Psalm 22, the great psalm of the crucifixion. Psalm 24, on his sovereignty. Psalm 40, which we recently studied in Hebrews, where he is the servant of God, prepared to do his will. We recently mentioned on Wednesday night, Psalm 42 and 3, which have the line that Jesus used at the Garden of Gethsemane, that his soul was was deeply grieved unto death. We have his deity in uh, the 45th Psalm, his ascension and his coming to earth as well in Psalm 68. Psalm 69, the mention and, and description of his betrayer. Psalm 72 of his reign. Psalm 78 that he'll teach in parables. Psalm 89, the sure promise to David that he fulfills. Psalm 102, the eternal one. Psalm 109, again about his betrayer. Psalm 110, maybe the most quoted psalm of all the psalms that... Uh, He's a priest after uh, the order of uh, Melchizedek uh, and that uh, uh, God has made him uh, who the builders rejected uh, to be the corner, which is also in Psalm 118, as long as the triumphal entry is there too. There's more of Gethsemane in Psalm 116 and another repeat of the promise to David in Psalm 132. About 40% of all the quotations from the Old Testament and the New are from the Psalms. And these psalms that we just mentioned, and you have there on the top of that handout, that, that, those are the places where the vast majority of them are from. Jesus himself quoted from the book of Psalms uh, more than any other. There are, and that is the next section of your handout, about 70 references. Uh, if I misnumbered by one. It's 69 as it'll be renumbered. So just about 70 references and quotations about Jesus in the Psalms. And the, the width and the breadth of the detail is quite enough to tell, I think, in large, the entire story of Jesus. As I was talking about this series of lessons, Matt asked me the other day, he said, well, how much of the life of Christ could you preach just from the Psalms? And to which I say, Matt, I'm glad you asked. And for the rest of you, that question is about to be answered. As we look, what, do we, what will we learn about the Messiah in the Psalms? Well, he's of, the or- he's of the lineage of David. He's called God while in the womb and God's his father. He knew that God was his father from childhood. And he will tell us of the scriptures that speak about him. Of who he is and his position. He's the king of the Jews, the son of God. He is God, the only begotten son He is eternal. He is the creator of all things. He's the Lord and King, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, the stone which the builders rejected. Of his ministry, even the babes would sing out in praise to him. He came to do the Father's will in it. He came to tell the believers of God's faithfulness, love, and salvation. He would be consumed by God's house and zeal for it. He would teach in parables. He would calm the seas. He would love righteousness and hate wickedness. He would come in the name of the Lord. He would be subject to many attempts to kill him. He would be betrayed by his own disciples. His soul would be deeply grieved unto death. 
Speaking of his death in Psalm 2, and there's a little misnumbering there. First from Psalm 2, he'll be opposed by a conspiracy of religious and political leaders. And then in Psalm 22, we begin the 14 facts of the crucifixion from just one psalm. His praying without ceasing before his death. Being forsaken, feeling forsaken by God at his crucifixion. Being despised and rejected by his own, being mocked. The unbelievers, and actually quotes what the unbelievers will in the future say. He trusted in God, now let him deliver him. He'd be abandoned by his disciples. He'd be encompassed by those savage and wicked folks. He would have blood and water flow from his side. He'd be crucified. He would die while in thirst, surrounded by evildoers, with his hands and feet pierced, while his garments were being cast lot for. After being accused by false witnesses, he'd cry out again the direct quote, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. But no bones would be broken as he's hated without cause and silent before his accusers as the sacrificial lamb of God for redemption of mankind and praying for his enemies. So that was Psalm 2 or 22 and 32. Then in Psalm 69, some more. Hated without cause, condemned for God's sake, rejected by his own brothers, having his heart broken, being offered gall mixed with vinegar to drink as he died. Of his betrayer, he would have a short life, would be replaced by a more faithful person. Then his resurrection is prophesied. He would be resurrected. His body would not see decay. He would be glorified in the presence of God and ascend back to heaven. In glorification, he would see his enemy stumble and fall. He'd ask God for his inheritance to share with his brethren. He would have complete authority over all things, destroy those who did not honor him, bring many to the family of God, be on an eternal throne, give gifts to believers, and be exalted to the right hand of God. So yes, sir, I am glad you asked. This is the life of Christ from the Psalms. So if I would say today, we're going to have a sermon entitled, Sing Me a Psalm About Jesus, you might very well say, well, which one? <laughs> on the main list, there'd be 15 to choose. And then there'll be sections of many, many more. So we ask, who is his anointed, his Messiah? Who is the King of Zion? Who is the only begotten Son of God? It is Jesus. This psalm is about him, and at times in this psalm he will speak. Let's turn then again back to that text, verse 1. Why did the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers took counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So, let's do our own plan. We don't like this Messiah God sent. Let's do our own thing. Let's set up our own way. God is going to laugh at that. He is going to scorn and scoff. He who sits in heaven laughs. He holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. All right, so that laughing and derision, that wasn't just, uh, well, all right, whatever y'all want to do, go ahead. That's no, no, no. <laughs> We're not doing what you say. We're doing what I say, and you are rejecting to the point of killing my only begotten son. I'm not having it. I am setting this one as king in Zion. These rulers of the Jews who ruled the temple, Pilate who set in a governmental judgment hall in that holy city, these folks are not in charge of that place. That is God's hill. That is God's mountain. It is his temple. 
these rebellious people thought to destroy what God was doing. But God knew they were doing it. God predicted it. God used it to accomplish his own purpose. And he set his king, the Messiah, on that hill. And so, I tell you the decree. The Lord Jehovah said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And so here in the Psalms, we have Jesus speaking. We actually have the words of Jesus, right? Because who is the one who's saying, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's Jesus. This is Jesus speaking in the Psalms. And so then Jesus said, ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, as it turns out, that's not Jesus ruling with the rod of iron, although he does and has. But he's saying we, his followers, will rule with him with a rod of iron. And that's exactly how this is used in the book of Revelation. He who overcomes, Revelation 2.26. He who keeps my deeds to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule with a rod of iron as vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I have received authority from my father. Jesus says, I'm giving this authority to my people. Not the ones who reject me, not the ones who scorn me, not the ones who didn't want me to rule, but those who accept me. I'm going to let you rule with me. I'm, in a, I'm a king in this mountain. You're with me. Have a rod of iron, guys. Go at it. And we'll get to rule with him and reign with him. Such is his sharing with us. Such is his giving blessing to us. So, you know, if we have a guy like that, he's going to be made king. God has decreed it, God has said it, and people are going to fight against it, but it's going to happen anyway. I just think it might be best to be on his side. And that's how this psalm ends. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, and be, O rulers of the earth, be warned. Serve him with fear. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? It's the beginning of knowledge. Serve him with fear. Recognize who you're dealing with. But also rejoice. But keep in mind who you are and who he is. Rejoice with trembling. Right? Uh, how was it in the Psalter that we just sang? Come trembling with your mirth. So be happy. Be glad to be here. Rejoice that you're in him and with him and part of his blessing. But still recognize you're the invited in and he's the king of all glory. Right? And so, yes, come in fear and come in trembling. But come rejoicing, but come. Come serve and come rejoice. But always remembering who is God and who is the beneficiary of God. That'd be us. So, verse 12, kiss the sun. You know, just like the, if, he, you know, if the crown prince showed up, what would you do? You'd line up to kiss his ring, right? You'd line up to bow down. You'd line up to show your subservience, your obeisance, your Loyal following. Yeah, the sun. When the sun shows up, kiss him. Make him happy. He's the crown prince. He's going to be the king by the decree of God. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. What if you fight against the prince, the son, the anointed, the heir, the future king? Well, his wrath will be quickly kindled. And it's kindled by what? Rebellion. It's kindled by rebellion. When the gracious offer of God is made 
and people trample it underfoot, when people treat it lightly, when people refuse it. And so we end, like we talked about last week, with Beatitudes. There's so many Beatitudes, blessed ours, in the Psalms. We had 20 of them that we looked at briefly in our Psalm 1 study. Well, here's, here's one. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Some translations will say that uh, submit to Him. But come and submit, take refuge, trust in Him. But isn't that the message of the gospel? That there's a Messiah who's the Son of God, who is the King of all the earth. And we need to believe in Him, or send Him trust in Him, or send Him take refuge in Him. Yeah, this is the gospel in the Psalms, isn't it? This was the second song in their book, right? How many of the Jews would have had this memorized? All of them. All of them would have had this memorized. They sing this, and then they fulfill it anyway. But others to whom the light dawns as Christ is explained, right? Because we had him in Luke opening their minds to understand the scripture, to see this very full picture of Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 24, 44, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their mind to understand the scriptures And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so he said, well, how do we kiss the son? How do we take refuge in him? What's preached in his name? From Jerusalem, from Zion, from the holy hill. Repentance and forgiveness of sins proclaimed in his name. The gospel. The gospel is how we kiss the son. The gospel is how we take refuge in him. And so, let us fulfill all the instructions of Psalm 2 to seek refuge in Him, to come to Him, because all these other things have been fulfilled. He's been made the Son of God, though the nations and the rulers rebelled. He's been established on the holy hill of God as the only begotten. And He will give to those who ask of Him Great power and authority. So be wise. Be warned. Verse 10. And serve. And come with rejoicing. To kiss him. And take refuge in him. So there are. The second psalm. One of the several psalms. About Jesus. With that then we'll close. Ask if you this morning did come trembling. Come fearing. Come confessing him. As God's king in glory, as the Messiah he sent, as the savior of us all. If you need to come confessing him and then be immersed into him, we invite you to come. Or if you need to come to the invitation, confessing sin to return, we offer the invitation as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.